take it back old school. Turn and shake someone's hand and say hello this morning.
Let us pray. Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, and we are just in awe of your presence today this morning, Lord. And Lord, it just shows the abundance of love that you have for us today, Lord. That when we were overcome by sin, you forgave our transgressions. And Lord, I ask that you just pray over everyone today, Lord. That today, no matter what's going on in their lives, whatever circumstances, whatever trials and tribulations that the enemy is trying to attack them, Lord, that you cleanse that from them today, Lord. And that you allow the light of you, Lord, to shine brighter than ever before. Allow us to fix our eyes on you, Lord. Because, Lord, there's something that happened last night that was unbelievable. And right now, my heart is on fire for you, Lord. And Lord, I pray that everyone that's in this room, their heart will see the same, Lord. And we are in for an amazing, amazing revival, Lord. And we give all the thanks to you, Lord. We ask that you pray for everyone that's watching us on our online campus, Lord. And that lives will be changed here. And there's a movement that's happening right now, Lord, that we can't explain, but you know exactly what it is, Lord. And I'm so grateful to be along for that ride, Lord. And I ask that you continue to lift up our brothers and sisters. I ask, Lord, that you look over Lane today as he delivers your message today, Lord, and continue to be on his heart and with his family, Lord. And we are adjusting for an amazing time, Lord. And we give it the thanks all to you, for it's in your name. Amen. Good morning, guys, and welcome to First Revival. Yeah. I got to tell you, you guys that were here last night, you saw an unbelievable event that touched us all here. And guess what? We're just getting started. Here's our schedule for today. We have today, and guess what? Every single service that we have is going to be different, which is amazing that God put that on Lane's heart. So if you're here today, stick around for the 11 o'clock service. It's going to be completely different. And then we have services Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, starting at 6.15, where you're going to get fed. That's pretty good. And then we're going to start at 7 o'clock. So continue to invite your friends or anyone else that you know. And we hope to see you at every single service here because it is unbelievable. Uh, we're going to take our tithes and offerings during this next song. And we just really appreciate the generosity in your giving. Your giving is changing the lives of so many people. And we just want to thank you for that. There's many ways you can give. The buckets will come and you can give checks or you can give cash. We have kiosks out there that you can give. Or you can sign up and get actually from your checking or savings account and get it automatically debit from your uh, savings or checking account. So we greatly appreciate that and continue to give with uh, a loving heart. Uh, men, who does not like eggs and bacon? At least a pounds of bacon, all right? Well, here's your opportunity for that. This Saturday at 9 a.m. on the 31st, we're going to have our men's graphics with a special guest, which is Kerry Williams. He is a lead pastor at the Nazarene Church in Harrisonburg, and he has done some great things with his uh, ministry there for men, so we're going to be able to have a, a great uh, time to fellowship and eat and hear a great message. So you want to see that? And then couples, Friday, uh, February the 13th, we are going to have a Valentine's Day dance party. So the cost is $35 per couple, includes a nice, elegant, sit-down, three-course meal. Childcare will be provided. Uh, we have a booth sitting out there uh, at the auditorium, so or actually in the um, Welcome Center, so you can go there and sign up. Uh, it's very important that you do it now because tickets will end by next Sunday, so you're not going to be able to buy tickets at the door. So you want to do that as soon as you can. Again, if you want any information about that, you can email us at info at Salem Field. You'll just see us out there at the Welcome Center. So we're going to continue to worship.
You can be seated. You know, I was thinking about revival, and we're calling this kind of an old-fashioned revival, whatever. But you know, when I was growing up in the church, we had them twice a year. We had a spring revival, we had a fall revival. And you know, we had what we called a, the old-fashioned altar, and that altar was a place that you could come anytime and pray. Now, we don't have an altar per se, but we do have these cushions up here. We have this stage, and anytime, anytime, anytime in our services ever, that you feel a need to come and pray, it's never out of order, okay? If you just want to come and pray here at any time, not only during these special meetings that we've set aside, but any time, because we are truly trying our very best to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added unto our life. So just wanted to remind you of that and, and to remind us all to open our hearts this morning and ask the Lord to search our hearts and see if there's any offensive way in us and then ask the Lord to lead us in a way of everlasting life. I am really excited to introduce to you Lane Lohman, Reverend Ray, Lane Lohman, but he likes to be called Lane. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we met him and uh, Gay and I in about 1980 or 81, not sure exactly the time frame. Uh, but uh, I know this, that uh, he's been preaching longer than I've been alive. And... Uh, <laughs> Anyway, Lane comes from Indiana, and uh, so we welcome him here today, right? Let's make him feel really welcome. God bless you. Good morning, everyone. I knew I was in the right church when I walked in and saw a cart full of Krispy Kreme donuts <laughs> moving across the foyer. Great to be here. John chapter 21. Try to imagine the setting. It's the Sea of Galilee. Fishermen slash disciples in a boat. Jesus on the seashore building a fire of hot coals. That's the scene. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Heavenly Father, we have come to this part of the service where we consider your word 
And I pray over these next several moments that we would do exactly that. And may we allow the word to become personal, subjective. For the questions asked by Jesus are very personal. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Their lives had come full circle. And following the suggestion of Peter, six other disciples have now gone back to what they were doing before Jesus ever came into their lives. In John's record, it's the last intimate moment that these disciples will have with the disciples. And interestingly enough, the location of this encounter is where it all began for these seven disciples. You see, Jesus called these fishermen one day to no longer be fishers of fish, but fishers of men, interacting, impacting the lives of people. Now, in this story, the focus is on Peter. That's very obvious. This meeting happens after the resurrection and before Pentecost, and you cannot help but wonder what's going on in the mind of Peter as he casts the net. You see, they've been fishing all night long. Over and over again, they've thrown the net over to side of the boat, and every time they pull the net back in, it's empty. What was going through the mind of Peter as he repeats this over and over again with no results? Was he thinking of that morning when Jesus appeared to them by the Sea of Galilee and actually called them to be disciples? What was going on in his mind as he threw the net over again, was he still reeling from his own failure? You remember his story, don't you? How he denied knowing Jesus three times when the pressure was on? Did he have the feeling that all was lost? And those three intervening years since he had met Jesus meant nothing to him? What's going on? In the mind of Peter, we can only speculate I might be reading between the lines a little bit this morning, but I wonder if Peter might have been thinking this. Well, Jesus might have risen from the dead, and others might be following him, but for me, it's over. For me, it's all over, because you see, I, I denied him, not just once, but I denied him three times. Times. And perhaps Peter was thinking, it's just best for me to go back doing what I was doing before Jesus ever came into my life. And as Peter is recounting his failure and a myriad of other memories of his time with Jesus over the past three years, he, along with the disciples, hear a voice from the seashore. Have you caught anything? I wonder what went through their minds when they heard that. We're fishermen here. We do this for a living. They didn't say that, but it might have gone through their mind. And then again, the voice from the seashore says, cast the net to the other side of the boat. And perhaps they thought, well, we've tried everything else that we know to try. Might as well. They threw the net over this time to the other side of the boat. And when they began to pull the net back in, there was a tug in the net and they recognized that it was full of fish. And then I see John in my imagination. He touches the shoulder of Peter and he says, Peter, it's the master. 
And then we see Peter grab his outer cloak and wrap it around himself and he jumps overboard and he wades to the seashore and the other disciples pulling the net full of fish behind him to the shoreline. A conversation begins between Jesus and Peter. The other disciples listening in. Let's you and I Listen in on the conversation. Questions being asked. And they're very relevant to all of us here this morning because I see these questions and I see, first of all, a very piercing question because Jesus looked at Peter and he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Three times the question is asked. And I cannot help but wonder that as Jesus asked the question three times, there was a different inflection in his voice. Every time he asked the question, Simon, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these fish that you've just caught? Do you love me more than the money you're going to get for them down at the market when you sell them? Simon, do you love me more than these men with whom you're fishing? Simon, do you love me more than these? You see, that's still a very relevant question for us because we must ask, answer that question. Do we love Jesus more than the money we make? Do we love Jesus more than our careers? Do we love Jesus more than that person with whom we're in a relationship? Do we love him more than these? He asked it a second question, and maybe it came out like this. Simon, do you love me? Makes it personal, doesn't it? You see, in actuality, that's what it is. It's not corporate relationship with Christ. It's personal. You have to answer that question. Do you love Jesus? But then he asked it a third time, and it might have come out like this. Do you love Jesus? Me. Simon, do you love me? Am I the ultimate object of your affection? Why did Jesus ask the question three times? Wasn't once enough? Maybe Jesus asked him three times in order to give him three opportunities to confess he loved him because he denied him three times. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Why did he refer to Peter as Simon instead of Peter? Maybe he was subconsciously suggesting to Peter, hey, Simon, hey, Peter, do you remember who you were and what you were like before I came into your life? Maybe he wanted to remind him of that. It's a very pointed question, a very piercing question. I believe that it's, it's the great simplification of Christianity. Do you love me? Jesus didn't ask for penance. Jesus did not ask Peter if he understood philosophy and doctrine. Jesus did not ask Peter if he had a grasp on all the nuances of religion, 
eschatology and free will, all of which have their place in our belief system. He just simply asked Peter, do you love me? The old Presbyterians used to say, Jesus does two things. Your mind, he will fill with sacred truth. And your heart, he will fill with sacred fire. You see, if we're just busy filling our minds with facts about Jesus and have no place for the fire of the Holy Spirit to make Jesus Christ that passionate, intimate one with whom we have relationship, then we will develop a very cold and sterile Christianity that is not attractive to the world and becomes legalistic and just religious actions to the believer. Do you love me? A man by the name of D.K. Chesterton made the statement, let your religion be less of a theory and more of a love affair. Dr. Earl Wilson, a leader in the Wesleyan denomination, once made the statement, Christ does not give us a problem to work out. He gives us a person to adore. Do you love me? It's a very probing question. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Peter to sit by that fire of coals? And look right into the eyes of Jesus and have Jesus say that to him? Simon, do you love me? It's the second time a fire of coals is mentioned in the Bible. The first time was when Peter stood by a fire of coals outside the court of Caiaphas. The night that he denied Jesus. I wonder if Peter had a moment of deja vu when he looked into those coals that morning. Do you love me, Peter? You see, that kind of question makes short work of all that we might profess or do in the name of Jesus. Tolstoy, the great author of War and Peace, and Anna Karina was not only a great author, he was a marvelous Christian. And along with being an author and Christian, he was an art critic of sorts. And one day, a young artist in the town where he lived came to the great Tolstoy with his own rendering of Jesus, the disciples, and the Last Supper. And the young artist asked the great Tolstoy to critique the painting. Tolstoy looked at the painting and then turned to the young artist and said something the young artist perhaps did not expect to hear. For Tolstoy looked at him and in referencing Christ in the painting, Tolstoy said to the young artist, you don't love him. If you loved him, you would have painted him better. And then Tolstoy said something to the young artist that shocked him. He said, if you don't love him, you have no right to paint him. Oh, friend, 
If you don't love him, if you don't really love him, please don't attach your name to his. Simon, do you love me? But notice Peter's proclamation. He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Three times, Jesus hears those words from Peter. Peter trying to convince the Lord, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But how could Peter prove it? How could he validate his love for Jesus Christ? He could have gone back over those previous three years and said, Lord, you remember those days when I followed after you? I stood up for you. You remember that night in the Garden of Gethsemane when they came to apprehend you? And what did I do? I pulled out my sword to defend you. He also proved he wasn't a good swordsman. He could have looked at those other six disciples and said, fellas, get my back here. Tell him how much I love him. Vouch for me. And they might have responded, well, Peter, we know we've been with you these last three years and we've watched your life. You seem to always have something to say about everything. And indeed, you were there in the Garden of Gethsemane and you tried to defend the master, but you also, just a few hours later, you denied even knowing the man. How could he prove it? How could he prove that he loved Jesus? Better yet, how do we prove we love him? What do we have to show and prove to the world that we love him? Is there any evidence? Several years ago, there was a, a statement that became very popular in Christian circles. It simply said this, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? This kind of ministry puts me on airplanes a lot. And about a year and a half ago, my wife took me to the Indianapolis airport. We live 45 minutes south of Indianapolis in a town called Columbus, Indiana. Saturday's pretty routine for us. I try to spend as much time as I can at home between revival meetings, and so I schedule my flights late in the day on Saturday, if at all possible, so I can have breakfast with my wife. And we spend those times with one another. This particular Saturday, it was in October of 2013, we drove up to Indianapolis and as the routine goes, she pulled up to the departure area there at Indianapolis Airport and I got out of the car, got my luggage out of the vehicle and she came around and she put her arms around me and kissed me, told me how much she loved me and that she would be praying for me. Where's the camera? Hi, Gretchen. She's watching this morning. And then I stand there and I watch her pull away. I take my luggage and I walk into the terminal over to the Delta counter to the priority line. You see, I'm platinum now. And they check my luggage. I go through the security. I have that pre-check thing. And that is so nice. And I arrive at my gate. I look through the window and there is the Jetta 
I'll be traveling in. It's a Canada Air regional jet. It's one of the smallest aircrafts that you can fly in today, at least with Delta. And as I approached the gate area, I saw sitting in the handicapped area, and I say this with all due respect, not meaning to be ugly. It's just a factual statement. Sitting there in one of the handicapped seats was a very large, extremely large black lady. It was obvious she was handicapped. There was a walker beside her chair. But oddly enough, sitting next to her was a very shapely, attractive, white lady. And they conversed with one another, and it became obvious that they were traveling together. And I just thought to myself, that's an interesting couple traveling together. And then they boarded the pre-boards, as they do, and then the Platinums. And, and so I walked down the uh, I walked down the that thing, and I got on the plane. And as I walked into the plane, there sitting in row one. A and B, the large black lady on the aisle, the small, shapely white lady next to the window, kind of crunched up against the side of the plane. My seat was right behind them, 2A. And as I usually do when I board one of those small jets, I get on my Delta app to see if anyone has booked the seat beside mine. So I did that, and I pulled it up, and no one had booked the seat by me. I had both seats. This is wonderful. I texted my wife, and I said, Gretchen, no one sitting beside me on this Canada regional air jet. It's kind of like first class on this small plane. And she texted back immediately, way to go, platinum flyer. And I was getting all situated and all settled in. They closed the door of the plane. That's a sign you've got to have your seatbelt on. No one is to move. I saw the young white lady sitting crunched against the side of the plane next to the large black lady, lean forward, and she got the flight attendant's attention. And she said, could I move? Right back there. <laughs> and the flight attendant said, you'll have to hurry. We've closed the door. She got up and hurriedly came around in front of the large black lady. And as she came around past her, she looked me right in the eye. And she said, I'm sorry. So was I. She sat down beside me. I continued reading the book that I was reading. Prayer, bearing the world as Jesus did. I didn't say a word to her. I did not have welcome to my world written on my face. We made the 30-minute flight from Indianapolis to Detroit. And as we were making our approach into the Detroit airport, she finally spoke to me. And she said, do you live here? 
meaning Detroit. I said, no, Columbus. She said, Indiana or Ohio? I said, no, Indiana. I said, how about you? She said, I live in Indianapolis. Then she asked, what do you do? And I told her, I'm an evangelist. What's that? I travel from week to week, different churches and religious groups, and I speak, I sing. I leave out on Saturday, come back home on Thursday. And she just quipped very quickly. Imagine your wife's glad when you leave. And she smiled when she said it. I said, no. As a matter of fact, she and I are attached at the hip. We love one another deeply and desperately. And one of the hardest things I have to do is to leave her every Saturday and be away from her those five days. I said, what do you do? She said, I own a company that is hired by the medical systems of our country to accompany undocumented people here in America back to their country of origin when they are well enough to travel. I said, that's fascinating. I've never heard of anything like that. She said, the lady that I'm traveling with, her name is Mary. She's from Nairobi. And I'm comfortable traveling in that country. And so I volunteered, even though I own the company, normally don't do this, I volunteered to take her back to Nairobi because she's been sick and now she's well enough to travel. She said this then. After I told her about me and Gretchen, she said, I wish I had someone like that. Pointed to an empty ring finger. Indicating that she had just come out of a relationship that was not good. And I told her, I said, I'll pray for you. Her name was Judy Kendall. I'll never forget her name. I said, I'll pray for you. She said, thank you. And we just chatted a little bit more while the plane was pulling in to the gate. And when we finally were able to unbuckle and prepare to leave the plane, she allowed me to get out into the aisle because she had to wait for a wheelchair for Mary. I turned to tell Judy Kendall goodbye. And she looked right at me. And as I was ready to leave, she said, work on that expression. Work on that expression. And I have. Because you see, there was no evidence that I loved Jesus that day. There was nothing in my body language and my expression on my face that I really loved Jesus or even cared for her or anyone for that matter. No evidence. God brought her into my life to teach me an incredible lesson that morning. You see, Peter makes a statement here that I wonder sometimes if we've really understood the gravity of the statement because Peter looked at Jesus that morning and he said, you know that I love you. You know all things. 
See, he knows. He knows if you love him. You can come to this wonderful church Sunday after Sunday and sing these marvelous songs and rub shoulders with wonderful people. But he knows if you really love him. It's the great simplification of Christianity. Simon, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that you, that I love you. Have you ever seriously, and this is what revival is all about. As I shared with the congregation last night, revival is for those of us who've really connected with the church and connected with the idea of God, the Bible, and Jesus Christ. You see, revival is for people like us who will allow him to come and walk around in our lives and show us anything that does not represent the fact that we love him. Look at Peter's purpose. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. It's a marvelous thing here as I look at this story that Jesus is actually entrusting the work of the kingdom to Peter. Even though you failed me, I still believe in you. Even though you denied me, I still want to use you for kingdom business. And you perhaps know the story of Peter. How from that day he went on, and as we noted last night in the message, he was selected to do the preaching on the day of Pentecost, and he went on to proclaim the gospel. And tradition tells us that Peter indeed did love the Lord because he literally gave his life. And when they came to execute Peter, tradition tells us, he said, don't crucify me like you did my Lord. Crucify me upside down which tradition says they did. Do you love me, Peter? If you were here last night, you know that my wife and I have this incredible relationship. So what I'm about to share with you in the closing moments of this sermon is purely hypothetical. It's not the truth. Did everyone get that statement? <laughs> it's not the truth. It hasn't happened and it will not happen. It's just an illustration. Now that we have that clear. This coming Thursday, I will drive back to Dulles Airport and I will board the plane to Atlanta, catch a connecting flight into Indianapolis. We've already put our plans together for Thursday. She's helping a friend, so she'll not pick me up at the airport. I'll have a friend pick me up at the airport about 3 o'clock Thursday afternoon. Let's just say that when I arrive back at the cottage there on Cottage Avenue in Indianapolis or in Columbus, Indiana, I'm looking forward to seeing my wife. And when she finally arrives back from helping her friend who has to go to the hospital, she walks in the back door of the cottage. And rather than the smile that I'm accustomed to seeing, and rather than arms outstretched, ready to embrace me, she walks in the back door 
I may be sitting at my desk in my office. And I say, I'm back here. She comes around the corner into the front room, looks into my office. And there's an expression on her face that lets me know something's wrong. No, hello, how are you? I'm glad you, you're home. No coming around to the desk and leaning over and kissing me. She says this. We need to talk. And I get up out of my chair. And I make my way into the den. She sits down in her recliner. And I sit in my recliner that's next to her, separated by a little lamp, table and lamp. And I say, what's the matter? We need to talk. What's wrong? I ask. She gathers her energy, her courage, and then she looks at me and she says, I don't love you anymore. And I say, what? She says, I don't love you anymore. And then she quickly adds, there's no one else. I just don't love you anymore. I can't believe my ears. She continues. But because of what you do, I don't want a divorce. We'll continue living together. I'll do your laundry. I'll cook for you. I'll even go with you to your revivals from time to time when it's possible. I'll stand and sing with you like we've always done. Just to keep up the appearance. Because I don't want to hurt your ministry. But you just need to know. I don't love you anymore. It would break my heart. But after hearing those words and gathering myself, I'll tell you how I'd respond to that. I'd look at her and say, Gretchen, if I can't have your love, nothing else matters. I don't want your service if I can't have your love. My friend, he doesn't want your service if he can't have your love. Simon, son of John, do you love me? It's the great simplification of Christianity. Nothing else matters. That's where it all begins. Do you love me? More than these. Do you love me? Do you love me? Our Father, I thank you for these piercing, probing questions. 
I thank you that we can come to that place where Peter was. Even though he had failed the Lord, he said, I do love you. I, I love you. And then you used him to help build the kingdom of God. May we today declare, declare our love for you. I want to invite you to do something. I want to invite you to declare your love for him. Not for me. Not for the pastors of your church. Not even for the person sitting next to you. I want you to declare it to him. I want you to do it publicly. Jesus said, if you'll not declare me before men, I'll not declare you before the Heavenly Father. How many of you today would join me around the front of this stage? You can kneel. You can stand. Whatever posture you choose to use and just say, Jesus, I declare today how much I love you. From the depths of my being, I love you. Maybe you've never done that before. What a great time and a great place to do it right here. This is your time, your opportunity. Why don't you come? Declare your love for him today. In your own way, just you and him, declare your love for him today. I love you, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Father, I pray these moments while we are gathered in a corporate worship service would be very personal. I announce to you today, Jesus, that I love you more than my words can say. I want you to be the object, the ultimate object of my affection. I love you more than these, more than anything else. I love you. I want you to be on the throne of my life. I love you today. I love you today. 
When I was growing up as a kid, we used to sing this song. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. The verse went like this. There is a name I love to hear. I love to sing its worth. It sounds like music in my ear. The sweetest name on earth. It's simple singing. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved Praise his name. want this to end. It doesn't have to. Well, I declare that I love Jesus more than anything. Can you say that out loud? Well, I declare that I love Jesus more than anything. Praise God. Never forget these moments. Carry them with you wherever you go. Practice this, right? And we can show the love of Jesus to the world, beginning in our own hearts. Well, next service, we're going to have some different music, a different message. I don't know what you want to do. I know I'm going to be here. Uh, as we leave, we're going to take a love offering for Lane. You know, a lot of people charge a lot of money to do this sort of thing. He comes on a love offering. And... Uh, we just want to show our love in that way to him as well. So the baskets will be at the doors as you leave. If uh, Just um, be generous, but have a cheerful heart and give in that way you do that. Just remember these moments. There will be a lot of things that will come along to try to steal 
what's happened in our lives here this morning. Don't let it push those distractions away. And remember this. Remember that you've declared that you love Jesus first. Thanks so much for being here. Remember to tell somebody about revival. We are in revival. And God is doing something really special among us. So go in peace. Stay if you want. Whatever you choose to do. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome.